Welcome back, Rugby Pick'em fans, for our 10th Rugby Pick'em bio. That's right, double digits. I sat down with Barry Hibbett, a Cape Town native who's made his way over to Denver uh, in the past year. We met coaching at the Colorado School of Mines, but Barry talked all about growing up in Cape Town, South African rugby, what it means to the country, what the 1995 World Rugby Cup meant to them, given the apartheid history. Um, and we kind of bounced all over the place from World Rugby's World League realignment, looking at the pros and cons of a global season, to the 2019 Rugby World Cup, where Barry broke down some of the top teams and looked into a bit of the strategy about how teams prepare for the tournament. Lastly, a mid-season MLR report. The table is jam-packed at the top, uh, but it's a really good chat. Barry's a great rugby mind, and in his words, he's really dove into the Denver rugby culture since he's been here. Enjoy. Welcome back, rugby pick'em fans. I'm BT. Today we got Barry Herbert in studio. And by that, I mean my basement. Ready to talk rugby and uh, share his experience coming over here and getting rooted into the Denver community. Barry? How's it, Bisha? Yeah, thanks for having me down here in this uh, glamorous um, venue, uh, your basement. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, we had a little warm-up with a couple of uh, guitars and some keyboard, which was nice. And uh, yeah, let's talk some rugby, man. Well, we met on the field. Of course, I had just heard from our old friend Chuck Crowley that Mines was looking for coaching and went out there. And that was one of your first days, right? Out running Mines. Yeah, well, that was that was kind of interesting. Um I, uh, I, I, I've been in Colorado now just over a year, and um, when the uh, season sort of rolled around, uh, around fall, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to meet up with Chuck at the uh, Steamboat at the Cowpie Tournament. Uh, I went up with Queen City. I was actually already helping Queen City out a little bit um, with their sevens. Um, I'd met one or two of the, the guys previously. And, uh, but Chuck, uh, uh, sort of ended up being my roommate, uh, lucky me for the weekend. Uh, so yeah, I got to room with, uh, with, with Chuck and, uh, we got talking and, um, he persuaded me that it was a good idea to come and, uh, coach a little bit of, uh, college rugby out in Golden. And there were, he, there was a, a really good, proud, long running history at School of Mines and, uh, and I just said, sure, that sounds amazing. And, uh, yep, we, uh, we, we applied and, um for the job we had to go through the whole uh, academic uh, rigmarole, rigmarole yeah yeah complete and it really was a rigmarole but uh you know and, and in the end they thought i was okay and uh and they they asked me to come on as head coach yeah that was a lot of fun i i came out and we kind of just hopped into it it was like nice to meet you let's uh get a team together for for the opener absolutely and, and 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 again you know thanks to chuck there because uh he brought you guys over from the barbos and uh yeah, we had uh, you and Tubbs out there helping the boys, and uh, they've really benefited a lot from from uh, your experience and uh, having you guys around. So, you know, thanks very much to you guys for coming out and uh, putting in all the energy into getting Mines Rugby back up and running. Yeah, well, that's how we met. I'm, I'm sure we can go all into how you met all the Rugby Colorado characters over here, but you started coaching after you were playing in South Africa. Is that right? Uh, there was actually a bit of a break in between. I, 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 I played rugby uh, at Weinberg Boys High School, Cape Town, South Africa, and then on to Stellenbosch University. Um, also played for the Villagers Club in Cape Town. Um, Stellenbosch was, was a real rugby experience. Um, for those of you who don't know much about Stellenbosch, it's the, it's the biggest rugby club, university club in the world. Um, I think that, I think there's a total of around 80, yes, eight zero teams on that campus, uh, only about eight of which play for the actual university and the other 72 play in a very, very competitive internal league uh, amongst themselves. So Stellenbosch was a huge rugby experience. I also studied sports science and uh, was able to specialize in rugby uh, in my final year uh, where we really immersed ourselves in everything. So yeah, I was very blessed to have that, uh, you know, theoretical knowledge and, and learning at a young age, uh, which set me up nicely for coaching. Yeah. And I think, obviously, coaching is something that you can give way longer than being an active player. As somebody who's kind of flirting in between playing and coaching and trying to put my coaching roots down, 
but coaching is kind of that tool where you're able to pass it on and maybe not make the actual decisions on the field, but try and prep people for it. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, I actually didn't have too much of a problem transitioning from uh, player to, to, to coach. I, I stopped playing when I I, I left uh, South Africa and went over and lived in London for about six years in my mid to late 20s. And it just became impossible to actually play out there and hold down a job and pay off student loans and all those good things. So I actually stopped playing competitively at the, or at the top uh, the, the, the top of where I could play um, when I was about age 25. Uh, and then my only hiatus actually out of the game pretty much my whole life was between the ages of 25 and 30. Uh, when I came back to South Africa, and that's when I uh, I started coaching. Uh, I was invited to uh, to the seniors at the University of Cape Town UCT, and uh, ended up coaching in the men's opens there as an assistant coach, and then made my way up to yeah. head coach. Certainly a big Springbok feeder. I mean, the whole Cape Town area. Can you kind of describe the rivalry there and and the pride of? stormers rugby in that section of the country yeah it's 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 amazing you know it's uh it's just something that if you're born in 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 cape town and you grow up in cape town you're, you're immersed in one of the great rugby cities in the world um from a very young age you know i mean going way back when you know i was in my as a as a young kid uh you know the springboks unfortunately were banned uh you know we had apartheid at that time and a lot of controversy around the Springboks and South African rugby. Um, but I was able and very lucky to go to watch our provincial Curry Cup uh, as a young kid. And to us, these guys were, you know, every bit internationals and it didn't matter. That was our premium competition. And, you know, we had, in the old days, it was Western Province and Transvaal and Natal and Northern Transvaal and the Orange Free State and, and Eastern Province. And that was your that was your provincial competition. And then very occasionally the Springboks would get to play, um, which the whole country you know came to came to a standstill. That's still the case. Um, but back then it was it was really quite rare for the Springboks to get together because of the uh, the bands and all the politics that went on in, in South African rugby at that time. So what did nineteen ninety five mean to the country? To host it and win it, yeah. Post apartheid, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of strange. I was I was in college at Stellenbosch University at that time, and 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 in 1994, they released Nelson Mandela. For those of you who haven't seen the movie Invictus, uh, it's it's it really is pretty accurate. A lot of people ask me how accurate is that film, and you know, really was you know was that really what it was all about? And 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 yes, it 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 was. It was quite an accurate representation by, I think the director was Clint Eastwood. Um, of what happened so it's a fascinating story i was i was a student um and the country was actually on the brink of civil war <laughs> you know it wasn't an, a particularly good time the anc government had come in mandela had come in and pe- but people were still fighting you know just because apartheid was gone it didn't mean that everything was going to be you know hunky dory and somehow somewhere uh mandela managed to bring the world cup immediately to south africa um, because at that stage he was the darling of the world, and, and I think he gets a lot of credit for actually convincing uh, world rugby or what, what the word the IRB, uh, IRB. Uh, the IRB yeah. at the time. <laughs> we'll probably make another change. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially the way they're going now. Yeah, it's, um, it's very political. I, I've seen these recent World Cup bids come in, and to be honest, like France, which got awarded it, and I know you'll have different feelings about that, but they essentially laid on an extravagant amount of money over the asking price and legally bought the world cup is that yeah safe to say i mean yeah a- look i mean unfortunately we south africa has been involved in bidding for many events since um 2010 soccer world cup being the biggest one that we actually got we've had the cricket world cup a couple of times as well but yeah so we're very accustomed to to, to hosting uh, these big global events so it's inexplicable really that we haven't had another shot since 95 but just to tell you about mandela's role there and, and how that all came about he literally went out got the world cup brought it to south africa and it was it really was a huge huge moment for our country um nobody gave us a chance of winning that world cup absolutely not we were uh you know very raw very new back in international rugby um you know always been a great you know top contender but nobody really knew how strong we were and i think the years out of international rugby hurt the springboks um and the results just before that world cup kind of backed that up we didn't play particularly well. We didn't have a particularly good team. 
but we had a great coach and we had a great motivator in, in, in Mandela who was very close to the team. So, yeah, it was an incredible experience and getting everybody behind that World Cup. The, the country just went absolutely nuts. And I, and I really did do a lot for our country, that 95 World Cup. And I'm very sad it's not coming back and they decided to give it again to France because it, it's one of the things that can really, really move uh, move the needle, you know, in our in, in our nation in terms of unity and peace building and all the things that we desperately need. Rugby's been amazing for that. Yeah, I'm certainly surprised they went back-to-back to back Northern Hemisphere World Cups. Yeah. So the South is due. And yeah, South well, New Zealand, did, New, New Zealand did get it recently. Yeah, and yeah. that was, you know, and that was a, that was a great World Cup. But, you know, the, the disappointing thing from, from our perspective on, on not getting the next one um, is that after 2010, we went and built, or I say we, FIFA went and built uh, incredible stadiums in our country, which are absolutely perfect for rugby. Um, and we're only starting now to transition out of soccer and turning some of these grounds into rugby grounds. Um, you know, the, for example, the Cape Town Sevens uh, is played at the at the Cape at the new Cape Town Stadium, which was a 2010 FIFA Soccer World Cup ground. Um, you know, there's others. There's the Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban, which is absolutely incredible. I can't believe we don't play rugby there yet. But that that day is coming too. It, 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 we have to transition and move over there. So we're sitting with world-class infrastructure, experience and knowledge of hosting that um, event. And just, you know, for whatever reason, they've decided to, to go with France again. Um, and uh, they've left us uh, left us waiting. So yeah. who knows? Maybe the USA is going to get the next one. We're yeah, going to have to wait even say, longer. Huh? Yeah, that will probably be the rival bit here. But <laughs> um, since, since you've gotten here, you've, you've been able to be talking to and meeting the right people in USA Rugby who, who give you kind of a view of the landscape. What are your thoughts? Actually, tell, tell me about your first interaction with rugby people in Denver. Well, um, the first the first thing that I did uh, when I realized that I was moving over here with my wife um, was that I quickly checked out, you know, the rugby clubs online and had a quick look around and, and you know, I found a couple of Facebook pages and but didn't really see very much. And then it came across Glendale. And I said, oh, this looks all right. And uh, went and actually watched it. It turned out that uh, San, San, Francisco, sorry, San Diego uh, were going to be playing Glendale, uh, the very first game of Major League Rugby. Um, that was about this time last year, I think, uh, maybe a little bit earlier. And uh, so I went. I went along to that. And um, I thought Glendale was terrific, you know, the, the stadium. And, and, of course, then I assumed that this was now the norm. And that every so I'm like okay well this is very nice in fact I mean you know nice big stadium nice uh, you know well designed great turf or nice pitch you know huge screen at the one end easy to get a drink merchandise all very rugby 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 so of course assuming this is the, the norm in, in, in the US and unfortunately that appears not to be the case we show so but my initial impressions were of the game were great. You know, I got to stand on the sidelines with um, an old friend uh, who's actually a sh- uh, shareholder at um, uh, or one of the one of the owners at, at, at San Diego and Nick Springbok, um, a guy called Bob Skinstad. He was a Springbok captain, happened to be there, and that was amazing. You know, to catch up with him and uh, and to see him there, and it was a very very exciting moment. I think to be at that very first game of Major League Rugby played and there was a real buzz in the air the people that were there were were really you know you could see so much energy and effort had gone to get uh you know major league rugby up and running and uh, it was it was it was it was a great experience to be there that day yeah and that stadium you know has been the launching point and the center point of usa rugby for a while hosts the club national championships basically they're trying to get as many rugby games and events there as possible because that's what it was built for but with the usa rugby headquarters in boulder and Glendale's been the metropolis of all the action. So you came to the right city. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably met some characters too. One of our own. Oh, yes. <laughs> Rugby Pickham's Harpo. Harpo. Harpo's one of the first guys that I met uh, in the bar. Uh, just wandered over and just started shooting the breeze as Harpo does. Um, so he was literally one of the first characters I met. Some of the guys like Gary Rowdy Stimson. Uh, who I'm, you know, I still chat to and, and see Gary quite a bit and chat with him. And, you know, it's there are all these rugby characters that have been doing the hard work here in Colorado for years. And, and you know, I've only recently got here. So it's awesome to to to, to, to sort of chat to these guys and, and pick their brains about rugby in the state 
what's going on and you know seeing the development of the game uh you know just the other day with you guys down at uh, down at north high school was it yeah. uh, north high school is it yep. and uh just the kids starting out there at north and um you know also helping out with queen city uh, kenstone doing mines. such a great job mines yeah. uh now of following and watching you guys at the denver barbarians very closely as well so yeah i've, I've kind of immersed myself in in, in local rugby and uh, it's been very very rewarding uh, i've met so many amazing people and, and i think that's kind of my message really for today is how what a great game this is no matter where you go um in the world uh, you know, if you can find a, a, a local rugby club or university and, you know, go down and support, you, you know, your world can change. You know, this really has, and I've, you know, I've been able to do that a few times in my life, um, coaching and getting involved in rugby in different parts of the world. So it's been absolutely fantastic here in Colorado as well. And you can always give back. If you're not playing, you're coaching. If you're not coaching, you're managing. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. You want to just go to the game you and know, have a beer. Taking the kids down and watching on the sideline is, uh, you know, and, and and watching that game always with some sort of view to trying to learn something from the team or what you're watching. Because remember, it's all brand new now. When you come in and you watch, for example, watching the Raptors, or you know, you got to get get your head around this entire team and try and sort of critically evaluate them as I just, I just find myself doing that naturally yeah. looking at where they may be strong, where they may be weak. Uh, you know, what have, yeah, I've just and kind of, that's just kind of how I watch rugby. And, and I, I, I love doing that and I love discussing that with the people around me. I don't, I'm not really an introvert to sort of sit some on everything and stews on it. I like to bounce, <laughs> bounce ideas around and thoughts around and observations around. around. And, yeah, right, for well, sure. I got a rugby pick on bio classic question for you. Mm-hmm. It's called top three. Mm-hmm. You got to pick three guys in their prime, mm-hmm. injury free, to win you one game, and you got to pick from the all-time Springboks. Anybody who's done the Springbok jersey. Wow, all-time Springboks to win you a game. Okay, well the the probably the easiest one to win you a game would one be one game. One game. The the, uh, the number one pick there would be a guy called Nas Boerter. The old fly half and from the 19 from probably the late 70s through till the early 90s unfortunately his career coincided with a lot of the bands and the isolations but this guy was probably the best goal kicker um that the game's ever seen um i'll be surprised if there was a better one uh he could sink you from with drop kicks all day yeah, he would just again it, it didn't matter if it was raining at newlands he could still kick and, and we're talking about an old leather ball here you know we're going back to the 80s and not the nice new balls we play today you know and he was just a freak to win you a game i mean nobody liked him because that's all he could do was kick and <laughs> couldn't tackle for shit and <laughs> but he was uh he to win you a game nice boeta yeah Okay, Played so for the Dallas Cowboys, by the way. Really? He came on as a kicker. Oh, yeah. He came He came over here about 1983, 84. And uh, he came over as a kicker. Uh, I think he trialed, maybe played a little bit. But within a year, he was back playing. I'm actually surprised there's not as many rugby transfers. Because the money's right in the NFL yeah. if you get a starting gig. Yeah, they exactly. I mean, I, 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 apparently, according to him anyway, it's a completely different ball to kick. And there's yeah, just, uh, there's yeah, just yeah. no... With the real, narrow tip, yeah. there really is a sweet spot, like on a bat. Yeah, Where yeah. in rugby, I think, well, you'll see guys now, yeah. they'll kick it on the tip. Yeah. And they'll kind of use that curl. In the NFL, you come under, sweep the leg, uh-huh. try and make it straight. Yeah. So I'm not sure if the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys cut old Nas. They might have. Um, not sure how well he did either, but I do know he was back playing rugby the very next year in South Africa but it was a huge story back home you can imagine apartheid South Africa the (laughs) cultural boycott and all of a sudden our best player signed to play for the Dallas Cowboys a completely different sport what sport in what country that's the right place to play because you would have seen a lot of shit in the 70s yeah so the other two you want another another two guys to win me a test match is that what you is that what you want so he was number one number two the greatest for me Springbok that I've seen is a guy called Danny Gerber Outside center, also from the 1980s into the 1990s. So uh, I didn't start watching Test Rugby nah, till Wilkinson nah. sunk the Australians. Right. So some of our older so listeners. he's always the, the best kicker I've known, but. Nah, nice nice but uh, I, don't, I don't think, you know, I don't know if Wilkinson could have kicked a, a, a leather brick. That's true. Because, that, you know, that's what this guy would do. And Danny Gerber was the, um, was the great outside center 
really just just for me probably the greatest springbok of all time um ch ch check him out on youtube a uh, little bit you know we're going back a little bit and then more recently number three to win me a test match uh i would have to have my captain on the field and i'd have to i'm going to give you my best captain here i'm gonna go with a guy called gary tashman who was the number eight so he'd be my third guy to win me a test match because he he did have he did carry South Africa to I think nineteen Test wins in a row uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands. That's a good round. So, Anybody who's a part of that, yeah, he it was a record at the time or tied record at the time for most consecutive Test wins, and he was the he was the captain of that team under under Nick Mallet. So Nas Boiter, Donny Herber, and Gary Tashin. Oh, very good. That was dreadful pronunciation, but <laughs> Tashman. 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 That's it, Gary Tashman. So we're going back a little bit in the history there. Uh, well, I like so. top three because it's so subjective. Nobody can ever be like, right. they'll hear you listen. Yeah. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't have one new boy on here. But if no. you look back in South African rugby no. history, the oh. glory days are certainly not. Yeah, right. and if, if you go back through the 100 years, none of you know, only Gerber probably gets in that top three. Because then you're going back into the 50s, you've got guys like Frick de Prier, uh, who's widely regarded as the greatest springbok of all time. But he played from 1952 to, nine, well, around, it was, I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but it was a lot of test matches. Uh, Locke Forward, who stood exactly six foot one inches tall, which by today's standards would be absolutely yeah. minute <laughs> for a Locke Forward. But this was the 1950s, and uh, he single-handedly destroyed the British and Irish Lions, this guy. Yeah. Well, you Great know, captain. Humans were just getting bigger and stronger. We'll be yeah. manufacturing yeah. robot athletes soon. Absolutely, still, still a bit amazing. Lock forward, six foot one, probably no more than two forty. Uh, speaking a bit of American here, um, you know, and he was the great, and he's still considered the greatest. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good top three. Um, let's talk about the current modern age, All right? And World Rugby's hijack attempt of the cash flow in the test world. Yeah. For the audience listener who's obviously heard this proposed change, they're essentially going to divvy up um, the top 12 teams in the world, including the Six Nations and Quad Nations. Based on rankings. As I like World to World rankings, yeah. Yeah. 1 to 12. Yeah. So there'll be two spots open um, for somebody outside of that. Promotion, relegation each year. Um, and then they have a couple caveats, like they'll play one less game during right. the, the Lions. Yeah, it's not much cycle. of a concession, but yeah. Is it is it smart for the uh, the CEOs in charge to do this power grab now? And do you think it's better for rugby, worse for rugby? Let's start with just money. Okay. Um, Money-wise, I can't say for sure. I don't understand the complexities of the big money, which is the broadcast details of broadcast rights. All I know is that uh, the rugby is not being particularly well broadcast here in the U.S. just yet. We're still struggling for, you know, the way things get done, and I'm, I'm just, I just don't understand the broadcasting side here. Well, I do understand it globally a little bit, but the complexities of those deals and how people really make money, or how the the unions or the and the countries involved make money from those deals, is a bit of a mystery, and I think it's kind of under lock and key. Live rights, That's correct. Kind of our correct. So you know, is it a good thing for rugby? My view is that we needed to do something. We've needed to do something for quite a while. We've got a product that is growing rapidly around the world, uh, but seems to be losing meaning. And I think they've had, they have hit the, the nail on the head. I think a lot of the test rugby that's being played is not. It's never meaningless. It's never ever meaningless. But it's not a. It's not necessarily going to capture the public's imagination. And I keep talking about a great television product. And, you know, that's what rugby has to be. And at the moment, we're seeing too many stadia not full. We're seeing too many substandard stadia, like not particularly good infrastructure for rugby. Um, and that's even at international level. You know, we're just not seeing enough development into the infrastructure that we need to have a great television product. And, and before you get a great TV product, you've got to put the bums on seats in my view you know there's no you know and, and 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 world rugby is struggling we're struggling in south africa putting bums on seats pretty much because we've got too much rugby international rugby different story it, it, the numbers unfortunately when there's a decline in the interest in rugby it, it, it affects both domestic competition and the international stuff so um i think we what they've done now is a good thing we're doing they're trying something and um 
I like the idea of the of the the competition. I like the idea that there's going to be a promotion relegation in there. Um, I think it's going to bring some meaning. What does it mean for the players, though? That's what's going to be my next transition. <laughs> so before we go to the teams, because obviously certain teams are pushing yeah. about it, and others like the idea. Yeah. From a pure player standpoint, here's my thought: Like, are you playing more games, and is your body getting bruised and hammered more? Absolutely. But at this point, you know you're a professional rugby player. You know this is my career. Mm-hmm. So if if you're trying to play test rugby, and you're obviously playing professionally, you've educated yourself knowing what you're getting into. And yeah, the, I think the, the people who are really going to be really upset are the individual league owners who are like, I don't want to bang up my best players. Yeah. So the, the, the guys the, the, who pay the checks, not right. the ones who cash it. Right. So you're talking a little bit more club versus country. Privately uh, owned right. clubs that play in right. the Premiership. Right. The so that, uh, okay. So I think I think that conversation hopefully has happened. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of this, we've been talking for in the Southern Hemisphere and certainly in South Africa due to our travel schedule for our players. I mean, we've been talking about a global season for a long time, long, long, long time, and. That conversation has come and gone, and I, I, I can't, for the life of me, think of a better time. But now, if they're going to go forward, with looks like they are going forward with this, and they've made a compromise or concession with Fiji, who now are in. I don't know if you saw the controversy with them. We'll talk about that in a I second. Can, yeah, but, we will. We'll yeah, the teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's... I um, selfishly love it because I get to watch more. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not playing more games. Yeah, and smashing yeah. Shoulders more. But I think the importance is is is, is boiled down to that they have identified it. Me, what is the meaning of this test? Six Nations. We've just come off a fantastic, one of the best Six Nations tournaments in years. Some great rugby being played. Very intense battles. Uh, also, a competition that over the last few years hasn't necessarily delivered. Great quality of rugby. Um, you know the stadiums have been full and always are full. You Where have critical team, mass yeah. in the UK and in Europe. You, you you know for your test matches in in in, in Paris, in, in London, in, in Edinburgh. You know you're not they're going to sell out. Okay, it's just the nature of the beast. You have a huge population, but other countries and other test venues are not or have not done as well. Uh, I've you know, seen uh, the rugby championship empty seats. Even yeah, in the US. Here, yeah, Argentina. The they struggle, man. You know, even the US is also struggling to yeah. put the bums on the seats. So, it's it's about creating. And, and again, you know, last year I went to watch. Just talking USA. You know, when I go watch the USA against Russia last year, and we went out to Dick Sporting Goods Stadium. And okay, it's Russia. It's not a big, you know, tier one nation or anything, but it was still the USA. Denver should have delivered better. And it was a really hot night. I remember it wasn't particularly comfortable evening. It was stinking hot, actually. Get all but, the way across seven. You know, oh, we got to go all the way to oh, the soccer stadium. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I went along and I really enjoyed the game. Um, and I enjoyed the venue. I thought it was a nice venue uh, for future test matches for the USA. Um, the exporting goods definitely works works very nicely. Well, staying on the players, I think they'll also like it because it will give them more opportunity to play more games. I mean, every player wants to get the all-time cap record <laughs> if they're that type of player. And the natural progression of playing more rugby means we're going to see all those classic records of the old-timers be broken simply yeah. because they're playing more rugby within this is also five day window yeah this is also part of the uh, part of the big issue now because the initial proposal uh, which was thrown out they have made some concessions and adjustments but the initial one Kieran Reed from the All Blacks came out pretty much straight off the bat going absolutely nowhere this is just ridiculous what are you proposing here on the players like the travel involved here uh, you know we're already in a, a situation where we've been asked to play far too much rugby uh, you know, so I don't think that this thing is perfect by any stretch. I think it's going to have a number of headaches and a number of challenges, but I still think they should go through with it. No, no, just because just because I think we need to create more meaningful competition. Yeah. And no, I don't believe that this will kill the World Cup. I think this will give us as the spectators, like, why am I going to go watch the USA play against uh, Samoa, yeah, for example. Well, because next year and you're in the top, you're playing for the spot in the top 12. Yeah. That's why. And there's yeah. huge importance riding on this because once you're in, it's a bit like being in you know Division One of the English Premiership, or yeah. sorry, in, in the English Premiership, the soccer, the football. You can drop uh, in, you can drop there's out. promotion really. So I do like that. Yeah. 
uh, you know, teams that get their stuff together and want to get up and, and, and compete uh, can do so and, and, and can climb the rankings and can get in. Every year there'll be an opportunity for two to come in and those that are not performing to drop out. Um, so that, again, creates... I think it's still preserved for the people that complain about history and traditions. Yeah. The timing of it is perfect, considering you play the Six Nations February to April, then you have your June test window where you play cross-hemisphere. Yeah. Then they play the rugby championship down south, Mm -hmm. and then you finish up your schedule in the November window. I, I like it. I, You're going to have to slot your domestic comp- domestic competitions plus your those were the pro ones that was suffering. That brings me back to the yeah. owners saying, so, God damn it, well, my that, player got selected. No, no. The really good teams. We won. have to get back. I, you know, Again, it, it, to me, it's not rocket science. Uh, you know, the English Premier Rugby now, the English Premiership, Major League Rugby, um, Super Rugby, all the major rugby competitions in the world that involve international players or some level or critical mass of international players need to be playing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And there is a window in a season to do it. I, I, you know, I would love to see Major League Rugby move a little bit later. Uh, you know, I don't know. At the moment, it doesn't permit, but I don't like the January, February window for rugby. Never has been a good, good time. Uh, I would like to see Major League Rugby kicking off around about now. Uh, you know, sort of late. Last year was an abbreviated season. Yeah, but this year they had to extend it, and and you've seen what's happened up on the east coast with a lot of games getting snowed out. Like we, the, the the important thing for me here is getting the bums on the seats, having a really fun day. I think Glendale are doing a terrific job. I think San Diego are doing a terrific job. Seattle have been amazing, uh, but some of the others uh, are struggling uh, to get the get the people at the grounds on your domestic comp. So. Well, yeah, if super we want rugby. To play the full season. Major League rugby, test. super rugby, yeah. uh, British Premiership. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the one in France called? Uh, top twelve. Or top twelve. Top, top 14, fourteen. Top fourteen. Uh, all yeah, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And then let's get away. From, you know, then, then we have our windows for domestic competition uh, as well. So if it's just your country, which like we have a hundred and twelve year competition called the Curry Cup, still going, still running, hundred and twelve, maybe hundred and fourteen years that that competition's been played. We're not going to get rid of it. <laughs> you know, it's just too much tradition there. So, yeah, but at some at some point, you know, somebody may challenge that and say, well, maybe this has to go. And if we've got to throw a 114-year-old domestic comp on the altar so that we can have a great global game, got it. we might have to do it. Yeah, rugby, because of English colonialism, yeah. colonialism has this weird spread across the entire globe so the travel is brutal and yeah, the carry makes a good point he also immediately retired after that it's like I broke <laughs> up I'm gone yeah so, yeah yeah. thanks yeah. guys you can yeah, yeah I played my time yeah. um, let's go one last angle on this change to mm-hmm. the teams mm-hmm. because I think it can help and hurt the US in, in bad ways we are in division 2 and if we promote up we might have a year or two of just getting the 50, 60, 70 to nothing. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I don't see a pro- I think it is hugely exciting if we had a prospect of the United States playing against the Southern Hemisphere big boys on a regular basis and getting a taste of that. I mean, we... <laughs> and then we don't have what we had in Washington, which was these sort of watered-down exhibition games for... Uh, you know, for for US fans, which actually wasn't too bad by the end of it when they had, you know, 25,000 in Washington and then it was a big debacle and everyone was criticizing the event and whatever, you know. But that was essentially a meaningless fixture for anyone apart from the American fans. Now, can you imagine South Africa coming over here or Australia coming over here needing to get points and playing at Houston on a nice hot sweaty night when you guys rolled Scotland, if you remember, and making it goddamn difficult for them as possible. You're right. And you never know what can happen. Denver, Colorado, altitude, get the Kiwis up here, you know, get them up here on a nice hot summer's day. See how they see how they perform, you know, prepare for that. So I think there's a lot of advantage to playing at home, and I think the uh, the playing away for teams like Team USA would, yeah, they probably will get a spanking yeah. when they go south. But, but the learning curve there is exponential. Every year, those players go back knowing that you know what what level they need to be at and uh, how difficult it is to win away from home. So you know when the Southern Hemisphere come here, it's not going to be a picnic either. No, <laughs> I mean, our seventh team was first place in the world. There you go. The fifteens 
How did that happen? Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> just need a couple guys. <laughs> so what what does this mean? Uh, I know this year they'll continue to play out, but going towards Japan as a coach, mm-hmm. let's say you're coaching one of these big teams, is there anything you do differently in a World Cup year, like player load management, um, or do you just call a team? Do, do guys like to maybe give out potentially – new caps the summer before to kind of really test the tool bag and see what they have before they go into the final camp where they have to make selections? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's quite a good question. I think every coach will be quite different and quite particular and pretend that they've got the right theory and the right blend and the right mix. And You know, you can talk this stuff into the ground and I think, you know, get a little analysis paralysis, which is, I think is what happened to Heineken Mayer. Springbok coach the last World Cup definitely uh, if you look at what happened they came out and lost to Japan uh, and with the biggest shock one of the biggest shocks in the history of all sport oh, yeah. let alone rugby okay right. so but you but from that point onwards in the World Cup South Africa actually went on to the semi-finals played pretty well and got knocked out by New Zealand by two points in a very tough semi so you know there was in terms of preparation yeah you can over prepare you can over analyze and you can get caught flat like Japan caught South Africa. Well, you had mentioned before, one of the hardest parts of coaching at the end of the day is making that selection and actually yeah. just pouring through it. And yeah, it is. And it's two guys that just yeah. seem so equal in every way. And I've always been a big believer in the captain as well, in the selection of the captain and, and, and having an experienced captain running the show. You know, if you look at all World Cups, and we're talking World Cups now in particular. Yeah. You know, so there's a little trick to it. You, you play four games in maybe yeah. 35, 40 days. And yeah. sometimes with the scheduling, you'll play one against a top-tier yeah. country. You'll win your next games in 12 days against a USA or a Tier 2 nation. Yeah. And, and we'll see it this upcoming World Cup in Japan. But we'll play a much softer side. Yeah. Um, a, a coach just has to say, yeah. I got these 40 guys I'm traveling with. I need to skin some of the bench players and... Yeah, I think we come out a little to let people heal up. I think most coaches know pretty much their strong their their starting twenty threes long before the first game. Yeah. But they they'll there'll be a lot of strategy around selection and everybody trying to build on their performance, you know. And clearly South Africa did that brilliantly because they were dreadful in their first game and <laughs> lost to Japan. Um and then got better as the tournament went on. And you know, so that is that's kind of the theory, I think behind the coaching and the preparation going into World Cup, which would be different from perhaps if you were playing a one-off test or in a rugby championship or something like that. You know, you've got to, you've got to hit the ground running and, you've got to, and you're playing big games. The World Cup, you will get a couple of so-called easier games or less against lesser-known nations. Uh, and we're talking about the, big, you know, the bigger teams here. So they, but they, that, that, that will change at this World Cup for sure because the gap has narrowed dramatically from number one to number 12. When is in previous World Cups, we could say that there were four teams really that had a chance of winning. Um, but you already knew the teams coming out of the pools. You did. This one you did. I mean, it, they were, it was academic. It yeah. was, you know, a lot of the, you know, there was occasionally one pool clash per, uh, you know, per, per pool that would have all the attention. So previous World Cups will not have had the spectacle that this next one will have. Yeah. Well, Especially Team USA's pool. <laughs> we do. Because that is yeah. not looking great. I mean, you guys... We had England uh, on the, the short rest. That right. I explained earlier. So you right. wait. That, that'll be right. right. We'll beat the English. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a shocking draw, unfortunately, for Team USA. But I think, again... Uh, you know, amazing uh, opportunity for yeah, you know right. for for that for the players to to go and and if, you know we can only we can only surprise you know we can only do well we can only go there and hold our heads high if we lose and we get clobbered by one of those teams probably will happen but maybe we knock over one of the big teams too and that's what we you know that's what we got to believe that's what's exciting exactly exactly you can only go up when you go zero and four exactly years in a row yeah but so, I don't think it's going to happen as much this time around I think this time around you're going to see I mean just looking at the strength of the Six Nations which by the way I called Wales to win this Six Nations long ago um, everybody was crying Ireland and England and I said I wasn't having any of it after Rossi Erasmus told us so actually it wasn't me it was Rossi he said by far Wales are the strongest team in the Northern Hemisphere and he said that six months ago uh, when everybody was crying about how good England and Ireland were so no all of those teams are looking good, absolutely, and are all, and I think four of them are contenders, uh, serious yeah. contenders from from the Six Nations. 
you can never write off Australia. Never. Even though they've been absolutely dreadful the last couple. I promise you, you can't write them off. They will get a team together. They play big. And they will be there in the frickin' And they play. They know how to play World Cups. They've done this before. They've won World Cups. They had no business even getting to semifinals, these buggers. Okay? So you can't write the Aussies off. They just they just kind of get it right. And they're great cup teams. And uh, and But but for me, New Zealand... I know. I was going to say, if I was smart and a gambling man, I'd already yeah. have put the house on New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was a good... good, good yeah, it, it probably is still a good bet, but... Hanson will get his third. He'll yeah. retire as the greatest coach ever. Yeah, it's the hot. whole team will strip down and build up. It's, it's just so hard at the stage to look past them, you know. And with the greatest respect, we play them, as I say, we South Africa play them more often than anybody else. We have a better understanding of them probably of anyone else. We've beaten them more than anybody else. And we've also got clobbered by them more than anybody exactly. else. It's the history. Yeah, and we've played them. Every, we're lucky enough to play them every year. And yeah, we've had to take our medicine over there. And last year, two years ago, we went over there and got 50 points. Now, this is a 180-year-old rivalry. Um, you know, something like that. where We've played these guys a, a huge number of times. And, uh, you know, so for Team USA, coming into that, you know, we're talking earlier about the... You know, coming to the top twelve at some point and having to go and play away, it's not as great. You know, you know, you know yeah. what's coming for you. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm just playing that cold, rainy. Yeah, slime it up. Yep. slow down the rocks. Oh yeah, it's 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 not it's not uh, summer rugby in Colorado down there. I can tell you, it's uh, it's it's it's. Uh, I was lucky enough to watch the test match down there, box against the against the All Blacks 2008. Uh, Wellington with a good friend of mine from Australia, uh, two good friends of mine from Australia, South African boys living down there, Chris Carroll and Steve Morris. How's it, guys? Hope you're listening. Um, and they took me off to 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 uh, to Wellington, um, and yeah, the conditions were brutal. Um, and that was a very strong Springbok team just coming off the a seven World Cup win. Yeah. So yeah, getting down to 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 see the conditions and how far you have to travel to actually play. If you're playing in New Zealand, I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. It's the land of dinosaurs. And then you're getting yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going to the land of dinosaurs, and then you're going to play against freaking, uh, you know, the, the the most crazy warriors you've ever seen, who are definitely going to summon the spirits of their ancestors. <laughs> and I promise you, the feeling in the stadium is that when they summon those ancestors, something comes over that place. It's 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 quite spooky. Lightning cracks. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think I think we're both in agreement that. The world is ready for the global season, but there's it's it's going to take time, and there will be some hiccups, and there'll be some stadiums with empty seats. But more rugby is better when it comes down to live rights. They just want more of, of high paced, good action. Yeah, we got to do something. You know, as I was saying, they, well, they've got to do something uh, because it's sliding, uh, and I know it's growing here in the US. So perhaps the the you know the people who are following rugby domestically here are not as aware of what the state of the global game is. And this is the cool thing for me in the US is that we have now a global game, a really exciting competitive global sport that Team USA can, you know, really get into. And I think this next World Cup will be big for this country, uh, you know, for rugby in this country in terms of switching people on. And then, of course, the Olympics in the sevens for the next one. I believe the first time around was very popular. Uh, so the next Olympics, Tokyo as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, Tokyo so goes back to back. Yeah, it's a rugby world cup, yeah. and then I, I think I'm going to yeah. try and get over for the sevens in 2020. Yeah. We'll see. We'll you see should. What's going you on. should. And we and, and we're not. It's quite funny. We're not allowed to call the USA the sleeping giant anymore. Nope. Okay, because Steve Lewis will punch you in the eyeball if he hears you say that. Threaten publicly to, word, to yeah. actually say that if you if you say that. So no longer the sleeping giant. Um, just a, a you know an up and coming. Nation, we're, we're number one in the world. Yeah, on the seventh certainly, and the fifteenth not doing too shabby either. So, you know, very excited to to be here, Bishay, and 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 watch this all happen now because yeah. I think it's a great moment for for US rugby right now. Here on the show, we like to give you choice. So this is our culture section. Um, pick a song you'd like to be introed into and outroed <laughs> afterwards. And I mean, really pull back on your old memories. You know, those oh songs that God. just have so much Barry Hibbert connection. Uh, <laughs> or, or, or don't Stop Believing has got to be one of them for sure. Huh? <laughs> huh? I don't know if that's, that might be on the way out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, you got to get that up. <laughs> uh, and then on the way in, 
Um, yeah, probably be something like something by ACDC, I think. One of the ACDC tracks, yeah. Dealer's choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah dealer's like choice. Um, what is your favorite thing on the internet these days? It's probably rugby highlights. Uh, That's where I get Yeah, I'm, you know, it's amazing how I've had to switch to the internet for my rugby since I've been in the US. Um, that's been a huge transition. We're very, again, very blessed with Supersport covering a huge amount of rugby back in South Africa. So, you know, being able to just switch on and there's always a game on, on, you know, there's effectively a rugby channel. Perhaps that's where they're going with World Rugby now as well, um, with the TV rights. Uh, so yeah, um, the whole, the whole, you know, TV rights thing is another, another story. We don't do dog videos, like true time wasting internet stuff. What's your most shameful internet time waster? Uh, <laughs> Shameful time wasting internet. I'm a terrible Instagrammer. I got to tell you, I, I I really really spend way too much time on Instagram. But I, I do like the platform, and I do like seeing people's photographs and what yeah. they're doing, and following teams and following personalities and stuff. I, I it is my guilty social media pleasure. <laughs> Um, let's talk about MLR. We're about at the halfway point. We did start this as an MLR podcast, but doing it every week is just too much work. Um, <laughs> we're about halfway through, and I fucking love this year. I think nine teams is, is a really good number, and I'm yeah. going to ask you about expansion. Um, but it's basically the top five are lock and step equal mm -hmm. uh, with my guy Taylor Howden's Nola Gold in first place. And tearing it up on offense uh, across the league, but Seattle, San Diego, Glendale mm. are all right there, and New York. Uh, yeah, sitting in second. Um, and, and you know, Glendale has two ties, but they picked up a lot of bonus points. Mm -hmm. So those top five are right there. Um, then there's Utah, who's played really close, but kind of let off and hasn't been able to close. And then Barry. Whew, Texas is dead. In the oh, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, yeah. So, so starting at the top, you, you're right. Um, very little to choose between the top four or five teams this year. Um, very impressive start by Rooney. Um, from what I've seen, just you know, being able to go to San Diego and get a win away from home without any real history or any real kind of preparation beyond whatever warm-ups they were able to get. Uh, you know, November, December, January is not the greatest time to be playing rugby or preparing for rugby in New York. When we saw how bad the weather was there right through till March, April. So to get a team ready to go play away in San Diego and do that was 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 amazing. Because uh, San Diego actually played some very good rugby last year and are still playing good rugby this year. So for New York to go and get a win there, I don't know how they did it, quite frankly. And 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 and. They've just played their first home game on a on a baseball diamond, which I wasn't too thrilled about. But anyway, that's New York. The yeah, rugby geography York. here makes it so we have to have this front loaded. Hey, you're going to play a ton of home. Has to be play front away, and that is why Texas, yeah. I think, is so screwed. Austin is zero and seven, and yeah. has only played in their backyard or at Houston. You know, so they're going to yeah. face a six to eight game road trip in the second half of the season. Yeah, they're already over. And Houston's only wins against Austin. I mean, I love the Sabercats. Shout out Zach Pangelina. First ever rugby pick and bio. Um, but they're yeah. in trouble. They are. You know, I, I actually managed to watch the Austin game against Glendale. Uh, and I was lucky to catch up with Richard Osborne after that. And and, and Thierry actually. And had a, had a chat with both of them about the game. And, um, you know, I didn't feel that there was a huge difference between the two sides. I felt that there were critical moments where, you know, they just went completely asleep, Austin, and they just let Glendale in. That was a slightly uh, understrength Glendale team. Um, I believe that was the last week of ARC. ARC. Yeah. So, you know, Sean Davies wasn't there and a couple of other boys weren't there. But um, but no, Austin didn't look too bad. They actually played, they, uh, they played with a lot of energy and a lot of spirit and a lot of determination and actually some very nice handling, good skills, Nice quick pace to their game, but defensively woeful. You know, huge gaps happening, and 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 also very slow to react to 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 things that are happening. Uh, you know, around them that they should be shutting down a bit quicker. So Glendale had it reasonably easy. Came out the blocks first fifteen minutes, and 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 clobbered them uh, in the first fifteen. But but Austin came back. So I don't think they're that bad. I just think that they're sitting in a situation where they they haven't 
perhaps got a, a strong enough defense uh, system at Austin. I haven't seen Houston play, but by the scores I can tell it looks about the same. Yeah. So defense seems to be an issue. Uh, they're very game on offense, but I think they're almost too game. I think they need to tighten up their game plan. They need to be a lot more precise, play a lot more tactically smart, uh, and, 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 and play. And, and when you're struggling like that, you shouldn't be trying to run your way out of trouble. You should be really buttoning down to basics. Uh, there's talk that there's communication problems at Austin, you know, all the different languages with the coach and this. And I'm not buying it. Rugby's rugby. You know, it's not that I coached in Spanish and hablo me español no bueno, señor, you know, but I, mean, I coached a team down in Mexico and I didn't speak Spanish. So I don't think that's the issue. Um, but uh, I, I, I do like I do like the, the attitude of the players, despite the fact that they're 0-7, they still come out hard and they still keep coming, you know. Even when they concede, it's just that if they just tighten up their game plan and you know play a little smarter, I think that Austin team can can, can turn this around quite quickly. Yeah, well, it'll be uh, an interesting end of the season just with the top five jam packs. So because you're right, I mean nobody's out of it. Utah's not out of it. Next year, there's two confirmed teams: um, the DC Glory. Yes. New England Free Jacks. Yes. With Atlanta pretty much being a sure thing. It hasn't officially posted on the MLR page, but they've got their ducks in a row. So I'll bring it a 12. No. Do you think 12 would spread us too thin from the U.S. right off the bat? And do you think these MLR owners are all sitting there wanting to expand quickly and yeah. make sure it grows, but at the same time protecting their product? Yeah, because at least first seven in don't want to water it down and, no. and start putting empty asses in seats. But no. through this year, I've seen some bad crowds. However, the broadcasting's good enough, and I can pretty much watch every game. That yeah. makes me happy. Yeah, I got to play for yeah, ESPN five dollars sort of, a month, but it's worth it. It's sort of not 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 huge expectations on the broadcasting or the stadium. As long as, as, long it, as there's we're a game transferring on. to live rights, right. who right. cares? I mean, you right. want bums in the seats as the player. You're like, it, yeah. I want this to be a festive atmosphere, yeah, yeah. but. MLR will have some empty-ish games. They have been, especially if they have uh, listen. This, this super, you know what? Super Rugby is having a lot of empty-ish games right now. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's 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 it, different challenges, different different competition. However, we have seen some amazing things at MLR uh, last year and already this year. Yeah. Seattle. Fantastic. I mean, how awesome is that? Yeah. These guys, I watched that first game. I streamed it on Facebook Live or something. I can't, and, and, and I watched them play their first home game. Full house. Everybody in the swag. People having a great time. Having beers look like a reasonably nice day. And they're playing on this multi-purpose AstroTurf thing with the lines all over the place. And I'm going, oh, my God, what is this? What is this? So, you know, okay, I'm a little spoiled maybe, you know, and I'm used to watching, you know, big rugby productions on proper fields and infrastructure. The game itself was great. It was just a terrible fields to be playing on but the fans were in so yeah. it was like i'm like being pulled and pushed here i'm like this sucks but <laughs> this is actually this brilliant yeah. this is terrible but it's great so this is kind of how i feel about major league rugby like i have a lot of frustration when i see what's happening in certain aspects but then i also get super excited and super happy uh, about what's going on because everybody not only here in the united states everybody around the world wants to see this major league rugby and the united states uh, the U.S. Eagles 15s team come into the fold now and move rapidly in as a serious domestic competition because it's a new rugby market. Okay, we'd love to see more U.S. players playing around the world, and we'd like to see more uh, you know international players. And I'm talking real international, you know, ex-internationals coming to ply their trade in Major League Rugby in the future. That's what we need. We need a bit of star power. Uh, and we need to start, you know, that's what we need is that extra league and Major League Rugby provides yeah, it. we got to start rugby. flirting with the, the Southern Hemisphere countries. Saying, yeah. Come, come fuck with us. Oh, yeah. Totally. We'll sign you players. Uh, absolutely. We'll send you some of ours. Absolutely. And that's that kind of dovetails into what we were speaking about earlier, uh, doing this on a more local level, not necessarily at the very top, you know, yeah. creating opportunities uh, for kids to come and play here and vice versa. For kids, and I say kids, this could be students, uh, you know, graduating students or, or guys that have finished college and, and, and really want to take their rugby up in level or two, prepare themselves for MLR and, and, and possibly have a shot at, at, at going semi-pro or, or pro. And we, we need to do something about that 
gap as well in, in, in the US about preparing guys. Player pipeline. Player pipeline. Get him, getting him playing at a slightly higher level. Trust know. me, we got enough helicopter parents that will we'll see the Olympic potential and then, you know, yeah. like anything else, we'll get them to as many practices as they need to go and travel teams. Yeah. Like, you just... Parents like to see their kids succeed. Some of them a little too much. A little, a little too much internal <laughs> Overzealous parents, yeah. yes. No, but there's uh, there's good things to come. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and talking about it. And I'm sure we're going to have more opinions coming down the line once we can wrangle down Uncle Johnny. And yes. maybe Harpo. I mean, Harpo. Oh, it's good Harpo. He'll, he'll fall off the grid entirely. We, we know Uncle Johnny's around there. He'll, he'll be back on soon enough. But I think... Your MLR final this year, just on gut reaction, it's going to be NOLA Seattle. In a pick'em game, even spread, well, they'll play on uh, a neutral location yeah. down in San Diego. But, yeah, there only four teams can get in, and there's five. And even Toronto's right there, you know, yeah. sitting on the outskirts. I like um, I like Seattle again. Uh, fortunately, there was a, an issue with the coach not being able to come over and whatever, but that doesn't seem to have affected them in the slightest. They're... They just look like they've got it going on there right from the beginning. So I like them. I like. I actually like Glendale as well. They haven't played their best rugby, but they'll settle down again now, uh, and I think they'll they'll Year they'll lift it Yeah, I think I think so. And then San Diego's my 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 Volta in the third there. Yeah, well, it'll be an exciting end. Thanks for coming on rugby. Awesome Pick'em. rugby Pickham. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Bishay. Shout anybody out who you want. We'll, we'll hide it in oh. the credits, as I always do. All right, hidden in the credits. Big shout out to all the boys at the Colorado School of Mines. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. You're going on your spring break. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, take care out there, fellas, and uh, come back in one piece, all right? <laughs> Talking rugby, telling stories, rugby pick'em. AstroTurf thing with the lines all over the place. And I'm going, oh my God, what is this? What is this? What is this? So, you know, okay, I'm a little spoiled maybe, you know, and I'm used to watching, you know, big rugby productions on proper fields and infrastructure, you know, you know. They're very game on offense, but I think they're almost too game. There's always a game on. But Chuck uh, uh, sort of ended up being my roommate, uh, lucky me. Waiting, 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 waiting,
shameful time-wasting internet. Hablo me español no bueno, señor. Come fuck with us. Oh, yeah. Rugby here on uh, Rugby Pick'em. 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 Rugby Pick'em.